So we're in John chapter 18. And I know I've talked about this context, this setting, quite a bit. And a lot of you have heard it over and over again. But it's important to know historical details of this text so that we can see exactly what is taking place. And so in John chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested. He was betrayed in the garden. He was handed over to the chief priests. And he was brought before Annas. And he was brought then before Caiaphas and then the Sanhedrin. And they have brought false witnesses against him. They have brought false claims against him in order to find him guilty. These men do not care about justice. They care about one thing, and that is the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. They want to kill him because he claims to be the Son of God, mainly for a theological reason or a religious purpose. Blasphemy was their charge. It's much like what we read of in John chapter 5, verse 18. There, that verse reads, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so you can see, he has been claiming to be the Son of God, and the Jews have taken offense to this. They see a man before him, and they reject his claims to be the Son of God. But Jesus came with the power and authority from heaven. He came with words and deeds to back up every single thing that he claimed, and the fact that he was God incarnate. So blasphemy is the charge. Blasphemy is why what they are saying is the reason they want Jesus to die. But the true reason is because they hate Jesus Christ. They hate the truth. They are threatened by Him. They fear that they will lose what they love most, their power, their security, their riches. They were religious hypocrites. That is, they were actors. They acted the part. And Jesus, being the truth, being light in the darkness, exposed who they truly were. And this was a threat to all that they had in their life. And they were threatened by Jesus. And out of envy, they had turned him over to the Romans. That's why they wanted him crucified. Because they wanted to keep their place, their prominence, their powers, and their riches. And they really were hypocrites. They cared little for God and his ways. Instead, they used the name of God for exploitation to become rich and powerful. And these men who Jesus called whitewashed tombs, that is, they looked good on the outside, they looked religious on the outside, but inside they were dead. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. These men, threatened by Jesus, sought to put Him to death. And they were actually succeeding in their plan. But in AD 30, a law had been changed, and this took the power of the Jewish people. It took the power of capital punishment or execution away from the Jewish people. Rome now exclusively, exclusively had that power. And so the Jews had to go seek out Rome in order to put Jesus to death. And so they bring him before the governor. The governor of this providence was Pontius Pilate. And so they bring him before Pilate. And no Roman ruler would ever put a Jew to death for blasphemy. This is just not something that they would ever do. This was a religious purpose, a theological purpose, and the Romans cared little about that. 
And so the Jews must come up with some other charges to bring against Jesus in front of the Roman ruler. And so they come up with insurrectionists or political activists, a rabble rouser, someone that is rising up people against Roman rule. And this is why they call Jesus the king of the Jews, saying that he is claiming to be the king of the Jews, that he is bringing the people against Rome. And it is there is some great irony in that. They call him a king in order to get him killed while they reject him as their king, to which he rightfully is. Something to know about Pilate in order to understand why he actually gives in to the demands of the Jews. We will see that he says that Jesus, he finds no fault in this man. That he is an innocent man, yet he still gives in to the Jews. Why is it that Pilate has become powerless or impotent? Why is it that he will not be a man of conviction and stand up to the Jews? Well, he had had many squabbles with the Jews to this point in time, many rebellions against him. And whenever he would squash the Jewish oppression or oppress the Jews, they would go back to Tiberius Caesar. And they would say, Caesar, Pilate is doing this again. And Caesar would actually, the emperor of Rome would actually side with the Jewish people. It would be like in, in a president looking at someone in his cabinet and saying, just take care of it. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Quit, Pilate. I don't want any more news coming from Jerusalem. You're supposed to be taking care of that area. So his, his patience is wearing thin with Pilate. He doesn't want to hear one more negative report. And so Pilate is fearing losing his job. He's fearing that, that next report to Caesar. And so he's wanting to play this middle ground to give the Jews what they want and yet still try to save Jesus' life. And so let's talk about why, it, why is he so forceful on that? Why is it? Well, he loves his position as governor, but more so than that, if you were to cross a first century Caesar, the emperor of Rome, you could lose your life. And so his very life is at threat if he, fail, if he continues to fail Caesar. And so this is why Pilate, who finds no fault in Jesus, still gives Jesus over to be crucified. And that's where we pick up in verse 33. Pilate, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that, you, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And so here we hear the claim, Pilate calls Jesus the king of the Jews. This is what the Jews have put forth. This is what they've told Pilate about Jesus. And so he asks him if he's a king. But Jesus quickly, the one who is being interrogated, becomes the interrogator. And so he asked Pilate, what kind of king? What kind of king do you mean? If you say of this world, of this world in regards to this rebellious world, the system of Satan, the world that is shrouded in darkness, Jesus says, I am not. 
If I were a king of this world, he would bring swords, he would bring soldiers, and he would be freed from this arrest. But the fact that nobody has rose up, nobody except for Peter in the garden, and Jesus told him to stop, nobody has come to the defense of Jesus. He says, I am not a king of this world. But if you ask if I am a king, Jesus must answer yes, because he is a king. But as he says, that his kingdom transcends this world. It's not of this world. It's holy. It's separate. It's spiritual. Yet his kingdom is at work in this world, but it is not of this world. The people of that kingdom are actually born out of the world into his kingdom. That is the kingdom that Jesus is the kingdom, king of. In 837, Pilate said to them, so you are a king. Jesus answered and said, you say that I am. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He is a king, and he speaks of his kingdom, and he speaks of his, his purpose of coming into the world. And he says, it's to bear witness to the truth. And what does that look like? Jesus claims in John 14, 6, to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him. In John 1, 1, we learn that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God has come, and He's been made flesh He's become to reveal God to us. He is the one that we look to to know God. Everyone in this world, you meet so many different people and they all say that they know God. They have their different religions, they have their different holy books, they have their different ways to heaven, and they all say that they know God. But Jesus Christ is who reveals God, and they all, if unless someone comes to God through His one true revelation, Jesus Christ, You cannot know God. And so Jesus has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Every word that is from Christ is the pure truth from God. He has come to witness to the fact that salvation has come. That the Father has sent Him. That He would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. To die a death that would be sufficient to save he would finish the work of redemption. He also said that he would rise again, that he would vindicate all his claims, that every single thing that he said would be true and we would know it because he is the risen Lord. We would know that as he claimed to be one with the Father, that his resurrection would show that he truly was one with the Father. And now he calls all men and women alike to repent, to turn away from their life of sinfulness and believe in him. And the fact that he has come in the flesh, he's died, he's rose again, and now ascended to the right hand of the Father. God has appointed a day to which he will judge the world in righteousness. Jesus bears witness to that truth. And so when Jesus says he bears witness to the truth, He reveals God to us. He reveals the way of salvation. And He reveals the coming judgment of God. And those who are of the truth, 
his people, his sheep, those who have been born again, those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, the people of the truth, those who are willing to receive the truth, hear the truth, be led by the truth, live by the truth, those are the people of the truth. Those are the ones that hear His voice, that can perceive the truth of God. The pearls of God's Word fall on good soil when the people receive it. They receive it, they live by it, they submit to it. It becomes the foundation of God's people's life. His people hear His voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that His sheep hear His voice and they will not listen to another. And so Jesus says that He's come to bear witness of the truth. And that the people of the truth, His people, His sheep, will listen to His voice. And He stands before Pilate. And Pilate really will become one of two kinds of people. A person of the truth. Will he hear the words of Jesus Christ? Will he receive the words of Jesus Christ? Will he live by the truth? Or will he be a person that hates the truth? That suppresses the truth and unrighteousness? That rejects the truth? And that ultimately lives by the lie? There are only really two types of people in the world. People of the truth and people of the lie. Romans 1.25 talks about this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so you'll either be one who receives the truth of God through his son Jesus Christ. And then you will worship him and bring glory to his name. Or you will be one who exchanges the truth or suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And you receive a lie and then worship what God has made instead of God himself. There's only two types of people. Which type of person would Pilate be? He tells us in verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back out to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He says, what is truth? He says this cynically, sarcastically, rejecting the very idea of truth, basically saying, is there any truth really? Can anyone know truth? What is this so-called truth? He denies the very existence of truth. He becomes, he is truly a person that has bought the lie. He, know, he now goes back to the crowd and as a man who denies the truth, he now speaks an absolutely true statement. I find no guilt in him. Jesus is innocent. Pilate has tried to find guilt in him. He's not an insurrectionist. He's no threat to Roman rule. I have no idea why we should kill him. He perceives that the Jews want to kill him out of envy. And he goes to the people and says, I find no guilt in this man. An absolutely true statement, and Pilate actually speaks greater than he even knows. That Jesus is spotless. He's without blemish. He's perfect in every single way. He is the true Passover lamb. And he needed to be perfect in order to atone for the sins of his people. 
And so Pilate says that he finds no guilt in him. And at this point, he should have stood up. He should have taken courage. He should have held to his conviction. And he should have let the Christ go. But he was an embattled coward. And he would eventually bow to the demands of the crowd. And he lacks the integrity to do what is right. And he hands Jesus over to be crucified. In 839, or 1839, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And so this is a custom that the Jews, an agreement between the Jews and the Romans, that at Passover, the Jews would ask for a person, and then the Romans, as an act of goodwill or grace towards the people that they ruled over, would then grant them that request. Pilate, believing that Jesus was an innocent man, actually, he wanted Jesus to be freed. And so he presents to the people Jesus. Or Barabbas. And most of the people in the crowd are of the Pharisee party, or they're of the Sanhedrin, and they would have little to do with notorious rebels against the Roman Empire. And so he's putting forward Barabbas, thinking that they will choose Barabbas. Seems like an easy choice. Jesus, the innocent, spotless Lamb of God, or Barabbas, a notorious criminal. The crowd does what is evil and calls for the criminal to be released. 1840, they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas, they cry. Barabbas was a robber. We know from the other Gospels that he was also a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. The very charge that they charged Jesus with, they release a man that is a rebel, that is an insurrectionist, that is a threat to Rome. He is a Jew, and he is a criminal. Matthew says about him that he is a notorious prisoner. This is what Mark, this is Mark's account of Jesus and Barabbas. Mark 15, verse 7. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall we do with the man you called the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The innocent man, the innocent Christ, the one who Pilate found no fault in, or a murderer, an insurrectionist, a robber, 
it seems like an easy choice. But the bloodthirsty crowd cries to have Barabbas released. You know, as we think of Barabbas, most of us can't relate. He's a criminal, he's a robber, he's a murderer. He deserved death, and he was set free. You know, I don't like to take the text too far. Oftentimes in our culture, pastors, they, they read us, they read themselves into Scripture. They make the Bible about men when the Bible is about God. It is His Word, and it's His revelation to us. And when reading it, we should bring glory to His name. We should be in awe of what God has revealed to us. But oftentimes we take those holy scriptures and we conform them to our level. And I try my best not to do such things. But often, sometimes in the text, there are applications that do make sense for our lives. And I believe the story of Barabbas, as I've heard it applied by many other pastors, is one to which we can learn from. And so let's think about this for a minute. We always want to make ourselves out to be the hero. We don't want to think of ourselves as one like Barabbas or one like the crowd that's yelling, crucify him. But I want to push you this morning. I want to challenge your way of thinking. We are sinners. It's always in our nature to think we're better than we are, to think that we are good people. And I am convinced that unless you hear the truth, you will always think that you are good. Unless you hear the perfect truth of God's Word piercing through your hardness of heart, you will believe that you are a good person. And I'm going to push you this morning to say that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that none of us are good. We are not just morally neutral people that mess up sometimes. We are sinners to our core. And we sin because we are sinners. We have all been affected by the fall. Each and every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. And if we claim Christ as our Savior, if we've trusted in Him, been born again, we have an alien righteousness. That is, it's not ours. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not because of you. It's not because of anything you have done. It is because of the perfect life of Christ, and it has been accounted to us through our faith in Him. And as we have been counted righteous in Christ, we have been simultaneously had our sins washed clean. Every single sin we have ever committed, past, present, and future, washed away because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this is not of your doing. None of us can do this. We can't wash our own sins away. We can't earn a righteousness that would earn heaven. It has to be alien to us. It has to come from Christ. It is by grace alone, through the work of Jesus Christ alone. He did it for us. Left to ourselves, we are hopeless to save ourselves. We are unable to do a single good deed, the Scriptures say. Every work that we would do, every work that we would appeal to in front of God is tainted by sin. Out of selfish ambition, 
out of idolatry. There is no good deed by a sinful man apart from Christ that would be counted good in God's eyes. And so, I want you to see that even if you are declared righteous by the work of Christ, you can still yet be a sinner. You can be completely forgiven of all your sins, but yet still be a sinner. And left to yourself, apart from Christ, you would never stop sinning. Jesus says that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, the Scriptures say we are dead. Apart from Christ, He says we are slaves to sin. Apart from Christ, we are prisoners to sin. Locked in a helpless battle, continuing continually sinning. And you might say, hey, I'm not that bad. Lay off. This is too, too much. People are not that bad, you might say. And I could agree, by man's standard, we're not that bad. We look around to other people, we think they're generally good. But God's standard is far greater than our standard. It is perfect. Be holy as He is holy. And by God's standard, we are more sinful than we could ever know. We are far more sinful than we can even admit. God holds us accountable for every careless word that we speak. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the judgment. Every lawless thought that we've had, Christ said that if you look at a woman with lust, you are guilty of adultery. If we've had anger against our brother, he says that we have committed murder. We are condemned even by our own thoughts. Even by our careless words, we fall so short of God's standard. So, if you're struggling here this morning to admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, I know your sin. You are guilty of self-righteousness. You have not humbled yourself under the weight of God's holiness and your sinfulness. You are still in pride. You lack humility. Your heart is still hard. We should all confess here this morning that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. So let's go back to Barabbas. Imagine this man. He's in prison. Three crosses that we always talk, we always talk about. Three wooden crosses. Jesus on one, two thieves on the other. Two criminals on the other. That cross that Jesus hung on was Barabbas' cross. That's the one this man should have hung on. He was arrested. Certain death was in his future. He had been told most likely that he was to be crucified. How would he even be able to sleep knowing that it was coming the night before? Was he thinking of ways to escape, ways to defeat this death? Is there any way that a man can overcome crucifixion? I bet you those thoughts were going through Barabbas' mind. 
Is there any way to escape? He's aching for that escape. Is there any way out? I'm about ready to meet my Maker. He most likely knows these other two criminals that will hang on the cross next to Jesus. They were guilty also, each one of them, knowing that certain death awaits them. The jailer, the Roman guard, he walks down the prison cell. He sees the two other men go to be crucified. They are taken against their will to go to pay for their crimes. And the, ruler, the jailer looks at Barabbas and he says, Jesus has taken your place. You can go free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what goes through Barabbas' mind at that moment? How is this possible? I was getting ready to die. How is it that you're crucifying this innocent man in my stead? I know Barabbas could not believe it. Certain death was at his doorstep. Barabbas, a criminal, set free. Jesus crucified in His stead. Have you trusted in Christ today? If you have, you are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Let me explain. In our sinful state, we are shackled by our sins. Slaves to sins. Under the law we are condemned, each and every one of us, with the wages of our sins being death. God's prison is our only destiny. God's hell is where each and every one of us deserve. Our guilt is certain. Each and every one of you have fallen short of God's standard. Each and every one of us have no way out to escape the judgment that is to come. Each and every one of us, left to ourselves, are absolutely hopeless. There is no way out of that eternal condemnation under the law of God. But then as you seem hopeless, as you're sitting there like Barabbas in your sin, in your prison, unable to get out, unable to be freed, someone carrying the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, you are a sinner condemned to hell, but Jesus took your place. You do deserve to be in this prison for eternity, but Jesus paid your price. God Himself, He lived as a man. He took your place. He was your substitute. He paid it all. And you are free because He took your place. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. There's nothing you can do to merit it. It is pure grace. And He did it. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. We are hopeless criminals only set free by the work and the blood of Jesus Christ, by His sufficient death on the cross. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
We are condemned under the law, but because we have Christ, because we have His perfect life, there is no condemnation for us. What great news we have in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 says this. This is what I'm going to finish with. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. The just one, the perfect one, Jesus Christ, for the unjust, you and me. Perfect life, perfect death for the unjust, for all of us that are like Barabbas. We are the unrighteous, but we have hope. Christ is our hope. Cling to the one who paid it all. Cling to him who set you free.